0: Oh, Tom! There are no dumb questions. I can think of a few.
1: <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm Thomas here, as always, with my good friend Daniel. Howdy, howdy! Hey, how are we doing?
0: Doing good. Doing good. I'm glad to be back. Uh, yes. And enjoy this. And as we get started, why don't I say a uh, shout out to our patrons over at Patreon.com/slash. Reason together, we thank you for uh, your support of uh, what we're doing here and uh, just making it easy on us. Uh, you know, over what is it probably, has it been within this calendar year that we've been able to hire uh, an actual po- an, a podcast editor and a blog yep. editor, which helps us yep. to get back to the thing that we really want to do, and that's to get together and talk. Um, yep. And so patrons, thank you uh, very much for your help with that. Yeah, and along
1: those lines, uh, we do need to mention that we have a couple of new patrons yes, that have joined the Reason Together podcast family, and that, of course, is Matt and David.
0: Matt and um, David, thank you. Now, yes. elite, uh, what, elite patron level here? Elite patrons, both of Wow, fantastic. Of went for the gusto. Amazing, thank you, guys. Yes,
1: much appreciated to both of you, and welcome. Make sure to take advantage of the perks that come with that. Um, if you haven't already sent us your t-shirt size, uh, mm-hmm. be sure to do that. And, uh, I do believe I sent out the information to get the after show access to both of them as well. Um, and, uh, get on that pa- patron message board yep. and start some conversations and ask some questions and meet the people that are on there. Um, sometimes it gets a little quiet, but Hey, it takes somebody to get in there and <laughs> say something. So,
0: um,
1: <laughs> Be sure to take advantage of that. But thank you to both of you. We appreciate it.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, so we've got, I, I want to ask you, um, uh, I know, I know things have been really busy for you. Um, and uh, anything you want to share about what's been going on in your life uh, in particular? Um yeah, the usual. I mean, I don't want to bore people with what is
1: most likely a rather mundane existence. Um, going from uh, work to church to work and to church and to work and to church, like like many people. Um, but uh, the work isn't always the same work. <laughs> so, so, um. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, I'm trying to scale back a little bit on some of that, um, just for uh, You know, the sake of my family and uh, my ministry, and uh, Mm -hmm. that should be happening soon. Yeah, good. um, I did get away for a little bit last weekend. Um, I had an opportunity to go camping for one night. Really? But instead of it being on a Friday night to a Saturday night, it was Saturday night into Sunday. Wow. Wow. And so I, I, I made sure I had to prepare for this in advance so that I could go and do this and just have some time of quietness and prayer and thought and study and reading. Um, and that's what it, what it ended up being mostly. Um, it was a ham radio event. But what's nice about the ham radio events is when you go to these in camp, you can kind of go off by yourself. And in this huge, huge field, and you can pick a spot over by the tree line, which is what I did, just by myself, quiet. Nobody really came and bothered me Um, and, uh, you know, messed around with the radio for a little bit because, you know, that's what you're supposed to do when you get there. But then I put the radio (laughs) away and I just got to reading. And uh, I kind of did it mostly just for the camping and and not so much for the radio aspect of it. But uh, got up early Sunday morning. I had a good night's sleep there in the tent and uh packed everything up it was soaking wet from condensation and went home and got ready and went went to church and (laughs) preached my messages and fellowship with folks and yeah yeah it was uh it was great but wow yeah
0: those time yeah that that scheduled time to get away uh to get apart and to think and you know know, rest and feed yourself uh as it were that's good glad for you yeah well, my uh my family's off in Michigan and I'm batching it with the kids and the and the and the beta fish. I mean the kids, the yeah. cat. The cat and the uh the beta cat. fish. Yeah. Yeah, you were telling me about that. Uh yeah.
1: yeah. Awfully uh quiet there.
0: Yep. Yeah, it uh at the moment. yeah, I have to make my own noise and all that stuff. Um mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So, uh, but it's been, it's, it's nice to have just kind of the freed schedule to just kind of do what you want to do whenever you want to do it and not feel like you're neglecting anybody <laughs> in the process. Yeah. You know,
1: yeah, I understand.
0: So, yeah. Last night I was a little frustrated because the cat early this morning, the cat was, uh, being annoying and he would walk across the bed and he, and he, and he's pretty good. He's pretty good when my wife's there, when both of us are there, he does, he knows not to get on the bed, but you know, walking across my pillow, he get up and start messing with the blinds and I'm, and I'm laying there thinking how many windows do I have in this house that he could go look out those windows, but he's got to be at this window messing with the blinds. And then I realized I got up early in the morning and I realized that he was locked in my room (laughs) (laughs) because the door, the door to the bathroom was closed and door to my bedroom was closed. So he was locked in those two rooms. So after a while he'd kind of had enough of it maybe, and was just going a little stir crazy. And so started playing around. Mm. So it really wasn't honestly his fault. Um, I like our cat overall. I wouldn't say like I'm this huge cat lover, um, but I say he's kind of more like a dog. I am, yeah. I'm good for you. That was that was unbridled sarcasm. Um, <laughs> that might be as I, energetic as you get for today, right? <laughs> that,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm tired. I I'm, <laughs> I'm running on low energy right now, so even my sarcasm didn't quite sound like sarcasm. But, but yes, that was that was sarcasm. I. Okay. I, I am not a fan of cats. Um, cats and I have an understanding. Um, just when whenever we meet each other, you stay in your lane, I'll stay in mine. We won't have any trouble. All right. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'll go somewhere and a cat breaches that uh, that trust and invades <laughs> my personal space. <laughs> and, um
0: Little personal meter goes off. That's
1: right. That's right. Uh, oh, I'm not goodness. admitting or confessing to striking any cats on this podcast. Not not uh not that I would ever do that. Um
0: <laughs> Is that more Let, let's just say
1: let's just say there's somewhat of a very um deliberate nudging. That takes place, you yes. know. You nudge me, yeah. cat. I'm going to nudge you back. You're starting That's to just sound. How it is? You're
0: starting to sound like kids. I didn't. I didn't hit him. Uh, did you touch him? Yeah. <laughs> Hard. Yeah. Fast. Yeah. D- did you hit him? No. What'd you do? Uh, touched him or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> no. How do you define? Okay. Whatever. Whatever you did. However. Whatever you labeled that. Stop doing it. Uh. Yeah. Anyway.
1: Yeah. No, no, no. I, I was being serious. I don't, I don't hit cats, but I will remove them from my personal space.
0: Well, yeah. In no yeah, uncertain sure.
1: terms. <laughs> um, that's, that's just how I'm it exactly is. no
0: terms at all. I mean, like there were no verbal expressions at all. No, just no verbal simple. expression.
1: No. Nope. <laughs> I give them the look. No and, facial And exp- that's, okay. that's it.
0: Yep. All right, well, we've uh, let's, let's segue out of our sarcasm section into our uh, yeah. uh, question right. section here. And uh, we've got one here that um, is from Nathan, and he says, okay. I've repeatedly heard it said that when the Bible talks about wearing, quote, modest apparel, end quote, the idea is that it should be clothing that does not draw attention to itself. Indeed, Mm -hmm. the primary New Testament passages dealing with modesty, 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 10 and 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4, make it quite clear that the outward appearance should not be noticeable at all, but that the Christian, a woman in this context, should be notable for her inward beauty. In fact, the New Testament seems to be very clear that Christians should not be defined by any external appearance, but rather by an internally changed heart. He offers a couple references there. So he goes on, in relation to this principle of modesty, I've heard it pointed out that religious groups such as Amish and Mennonites do not practice modesty in their dress because their homemade clothes, bonnets, black hats, etc. actually draw attention to themselves. So he's kind of building his question here. Mm -hmm. Now he gets to the actual question. This brings up an interesting question when many Baptist men and women wear clothing that is clearly different from what is mainstream in the world. How far should we go in trying not to stand out in our dress? Many Baptist women could be found walking in Walmart in, air quotes, modest clothing that stands out almost as much as an Amish bonnet. So at what point is dressing differently from the world actually immodest because it draws attention to the outward appearance? You understand what he's asking?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, short answer, when you, when you dress that way for the attention. Regardless of what kind of attention it is, whether it is a sensual attention or an outlandish attention, meaning everyone look at me, I'm different than all of you, you know, reprobates, Um, regardless of the type of attention, if you're doing it for the attention, I think that's the point uh, that is being made by the word immodest when we talk about it, Um, that it's being done for the sake of attention. Does that make sense?
0: Uh, it does. So, my question in response, I'm going to take a different angle on it here in a minute, but um, my response would be Are you saying then that intention affects um, rightness? That basically, if my intent is to draw attention, it is wrong. But if I wear the same thing without the intent to draw attention, it could be right. Yeah. Yeah. I would,
1: I would concur with that.
0: Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna. I mean, because I mean, undoubtedly, you have
1: some folks that legitimately dress in such a way because they believe that's the only right way to do things, you know. And uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not here to necessarily debate, you know, what they're wearing, but mm-hmm. I'm talking about their reason for it if they really think that's the right thing to do. But they're maybe not too keen on drawing attention to themselves, and but they. Uh, they do it because they think it's right, you know. I think that does have a, have a bearing on it, as opposed to somebody who, and it's essentially grandstanding for some people. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. want everyone mm-hmm. around them to know just how much of a reprobate they are, so they're going to dress a certain way to say, "I'm not one of you reprobates." Um, and I think the motive changes it.
0: Hmm. That that's interesting. I would. Um. um so on the flip side of that, if somebody is. Wearing something, they've, they've been raised in a secular home, not much parental guidance, and without much thought necessarily, they wear something relatively provocative. Um, we, it seemed to me at some point we would say, well, that's, that's immodest, and yet the mm-hmm. person's not really meaning to, uh, the me- person's not meaning to be a harlot, even if they're dressed in the attire of a harlot sometimes. I, I'm just, I'm throwing out yeah. a, a, what do you call it, a hypothetical yeah. Mm-hmm. But would that not be, and I and, I'm, and I understand, look, I'm not driving at saying, I know that's not the main issue. You see somebody maybe who's unsaved and the way they dress is not the, the worst of their issues. They need to be born again. You know, I understand that. Mm-hmm. But I'm just sure. saying we can objectively look at certain things and say, well, regardless of whether the person knew it was right or wrong, you know, it was wrong. I mean. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, I think the issue is, is exactly the same. It's just on two different ends of the spectrum. Right. On the one case, you have someone who's convinced they have to dress, and I'm just going to use the word outlandish. They believe that that's right for them to to stand out in such a way as being anti-reprobate, right? And then you have the other person who's maybe a new Christian, and they dress immodestly, but they don't really know it's immodest. The exact same issue is apparent in both, and it's simply a lack of education. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, both of them need to be educated, but uh, on
0: we're not on necessarily the issue. talking about what is um, a righteous attitude, but is the clothing does it fall into the parameters of immodest? I think that's the the question. Um, so, are we saying that immodesty is not really um, a design of cl- like it? It doesn't have to do with clothing; it has to do with attitude. Is that what you're saying, basically? Then when we're dealing with immodest. Apparel. We're actually talking about apparel as it applies to an attitude, kind of. I mean, you know what I'm. You understand? Well, they're
1: not mutually exclusive issues. Um, well, no, th- there isn't. There is an attitude in the issue. It's not divorced from that at all, right? Um, and but, there is some. There is certain types of clothing that are object that are objectively immodest.
0: Um, okay, regardless you know, so, of the attitude.
1: Yeah, regardless of the attitude. Yeah, that's that's kind of. But okay. um but I think oftentimes people make it so much about the clothing itself. Despite always saying, you know, oh, it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. And then they proceed to make it all about the clothing. Um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, there's a lot of, lot of issues like that, you know, in, in some circles of our brethren where it's like, oh yeah, we believe it's all a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And then immediately they make it about, you know, the, the issue itself. Um, and they, they don't deal with the heart at all. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. my primary focus in this discussion would be to look at the heart, because honestly, I think there are some, uh, you know, newer Christians who are growing and learning. They have a heart to obey the scriptures. They just don't know what the scripture teaches about everything yet. Mm-hmm. Right. And. I believe that oftentimes will put their heart in a better position, a more mature position, a more godly position than some women who are, you know, dressing to the nth degree of what they consider to be modesty. And yet, uh, you know, they've been saved longer and and their reasons and their motives are entirely wrong. Um, Does that make sense?
0: Uh, Yeah, I believe so. You're basically saying you deal primarily with the heart issue uh, because that's going to put them in better standing. And I do get that. Uh, what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm looking here. I wanted to look at first Peter, the first Peter three. Okay. That doesn't actually mention. uh, Okay. Um, I want to take a different angle on it because uh, to me, the way we define words sometimes is uh, uh, anyway, it's, it's important how we define words, honestly. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: so when we say that um, when we talk about, modesty.
1: What passage uh, are we looking at?
0: Well, he, I'm going to reference first Timothy two, um, the first Timothy two passage. Now it's because the word modesty actually isn't mentioned in, uh, the Peter passage, but he mm-hmm. mentions in first Peter or excuse me, first Timothy two, nine in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Well, the word modest is cosmios, or, um, let me just double check here in the, uh, cosmio, but anyway, it's from the, from the word cosmos, which, you know, is that root word from which we get, you know, the idea of cosmic or cosmological. Yes. And so you think about it, we're not talking about the world in the sense of, uh, worldliness, but we're talking about, you know, when we talk about the cosmological argument or cosmology, we're talking about the universe and its structure and its orderliness and how, um, you know, it evidences such a, Uh, an arrangement of things. And it is really pretty amazing. And so when you take that into the idea of apparel that they should wear, um, you know, clothing that is cosmos, it's that idea of well arranged, um, Mm -hmm. we we might say fitting. And of course, that's kind of a first cousin to the idea of it being appropriate. Um, It it, it fits in the whole context. So I think that could go different directions. But
1: well it's it's really more the other word that's in that verse that lends itself to Nathan's point in his question, okay. which is the word shamefacedness uh, as as it's rendered here. Um, which I'm looking at my defined King James Bible here mm-hmm. um, which uh, defines that as uh, bashfulness or shyness, a sense of shame or or bashfulness is what it says. so it kind of repeats itself a little bit but the the idea Not that, you know, someone has to be seen and not heard, but the idea that someone should not be seeking attention for themselves.
0: Which I can, I, you know, with that shamefacedness, um, I guess I would say especially that would seem to be not drawing attention to themselves in an immoral way and in a way that would you know, appeal to yeah. the moral nature of people. In other words, uh, that it is sensuous, it makes thoughts arise, things like that. But I think we, this is my personal take on it. Um, I think personally, the statement that says um, clothing is not supposed to draw attention to itself, uh, or that if you notice it at all, it's wrong, I think that's a little overwrought. Um, well, it's also impossible
1: to really know that or measure that in any in yes. any way at all yes,
0: but I mean, I guess I would have to argue that you know you are not you are not merely a Christian but you are a Christian who's wearing something, you know yeah. and so your clothing ought to be fitting to who you say you are, but yeah. that certainly there's to me a broad scope um uh of of appropriateness um that That should take into the idea that should take into account the way that the fact that the world includes beauty, that there is such Mm -hmm. a thing as style, Um, and you know, so I mean, to understand that God's given us the ability to craft these things. In fact, it's it's a gift, and what we wouldn't say, um, you shall wear all things gray. Because you know, color draws attention. Well, no, that's the point. I mean, that color makes things beautiful. Now, if it draws so much attention that it's distracting, um, yeah. and I mean distracting probably in a bad way, but I mean we might go. Yeah, obviously we could look. This it's, it is it is subjective in the point of style. Okay, and I know, yeah, you, I know,
1: you are indicating a gray area
0: here. Yes, I, I understand that there is a point where we say no that that seems to be definitely fleshly that, you know, the exposing of certain things would be considered nudity, whatever. Um, but to say, uh, Oh, that's flamboyant. Like she's wearing a red vest. Okay, great. You know? Uh, Mm Oh, well he's wearing a, like a plaid bow tie. Really? (laughs) I mean, who can't not notice a bow tie, you know? Um, but, um, But it doesn't mean that it's immodest because it draws attention. It's just, it is a fashion statement and that's constantly in flux. And Mm -hmm. to realize that the world is trying to project its own style and fashion. So to monitor, um, whether we are actually godly by whether we fit into the world's fluctuation of style to me is a little problematic. Um, so our, what
1: do what do you mean? Can you, can you rephrase that?
0: Sure. What I mean by that, let me step back and say, you know, if, if the styles are coming out of France or coming out of wherever the, you know, the, the, uh, the newest, uh, you know, models are walking down the catwalk, you know, and they're, they're, you know, exhibiting these certain styles. And at first they're like, Oh, Whoa, weird, new, different, you know, well that's constantly happening. They're constantly coming mm-hmm. out with new styles and yes, we see the circular nature of them, the rotation of styles, you know, bell bottoms every 75 years, whatever. Um, But the point is that the world, I'm talking about unregenerate people in, in, in large part are determining the new style that's going to be in vogue in the next year or two. Well, and I say, well, I'm, I'm different. I'm dressing different than the world because I wear a skirt and they have, you know, not me personally, but I mean, uh, or I wear, I wear this sort of, you know. I, I wear a shirt and tie. Well, shirt and man, shirt and tie, you're out, man. The the, the new style is this. Well, now my godliness, my modesty, is being gauged by the world's standard of normalcy, which is constantly in flux. Right. Well, I think that's right. problematic to say. Well, uh, if it stands out, meaning if it's different than normal, meaning it's different than the mass of humanity, um, well, I don't. I don't think we've probably defined that uh, maybe as well as we should. You know? Right,
1: because it doesn't acknowledge the fact that culture and time does change. Right, and like most most people who would say, you know, I dress modestly, are acknowledging are aren't acknowledging that what they're wearing. I'm talking about both men and women may have been considered kind of worldly a hundred years ago. Sure, right. Um. So there, there is some some fluctuation in what people think is just different. You know that that's going to be different a hundred years from now, and so on. Well, um, and and you know the uh, what was I going to say? There was, you know, even even with the idea of uh, separateness in clothing, right? Mm-hmm. Which. Uh, is is a, a huge discussion, and and really, I I feel like in many ways we're kind of beating a dead horse here, and maybe hanging on to this talk a little too long. But uh, you know, for instance, you know, if we want to talk about men in particular, you know, you know, well, I need to dress separately from the world. Well, what degree exactly are you referring to? Because the world wears pants, you know. The world wears jeans, you know.
0: Right, right, exactly. You're probably
1: right. wearing jeans right now. Right. Um, so it's like. Do, do you see the difference there? You know, it's like, okay, separateness in, in what sense are you right, talking? Right, right. Um, you know, cause modesty is, is one issue. Separateness is another when we talk about clothing. So. Right, I was going to say we, that.
0: Yeah. And I agree that there's, that's not the only issue when we talk about modesty, of course, there's distinction, you know, there's different things, mm-hmm. but, um, but it just in talking about modesty and defining it that way to say that it shouldn't be noticed well, or, or it shouldn't define you. Oh, OK. OK. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously you want the most defining part of you to be, um, you know, that expression of you that that mirrors your Christianity, that that you're a joyful person, that mm-hmm. you're a positive, person. you're a hard worker. OK, yeah. But it doesn't mean that you won't have uh, stylistically uniquenesses about you uh, in the same way that our personalities are God made. And yet there is a sinful bent to them. So our mm-hmm. personality can be expressed in our clothing, and yet we have to be aware of the sinful bent of our personality and being expressed in our clothing. So um, it. I think I'm going back to even the original definition that um, the idea you shouldn't draw attention to yourself. Okay, if we mean by that, that it's an obvious um, – it's an obvious uh, – you know, eye catcher, you know, I, I'm wearing this to, to make men take a double take, you know, because, and, and, Mm -hmm. and see me as sexy and hot, you know, from i I'm saying from a woman's perspective, well, okay. Yeah. Right. And you said, well, let's go with the heart issue. Obviously the heart issue would take care of that. Mm Um, and, uh, but I'm just saying that within that, um, not drawing attention to itself, I I don't think that's really maybe a great expression of that concept of modesty. Um, but there's a there's a pretty yeah. broad range there. Well yeah.
1: And even in some cases, no matter how quote unquote modest a woman dresses, she's gonna draw attention in some way to somebody. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um that, that's just that's just a fact of life. Um so there's there's so many weeds in this entire yes. discussion. That, um, almost getting into the particulars of it is 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 like the whole thing just dies the death of a thousand cuts because there's so many different subjective aspects of it, and there's so many different exceptions to things and and so on. so it's it's a difficult discussion. so,
0: yeah, so my my just my caution would be that it's a discussion to be had. I mean, it, it's something to think about because it's there. The Bible uses mm-hmm. the word, but I'm just saying we yep. have to define the word appropriately. To have a productive discussion. That's sure. um, the underlying yeah. thought. Okay. Thank speaking you. Speaking of
1: defining words. Yeah, oh. thank you, Nathan. Um speaking of defining words, I'm sitting here, I mentioned earlier, I'm looking at my defined King James Bible. Mm-hmm. And and maybe this is uh maybe this is a dumb question, but per, perhaps you have <laughs> oh, some to on that. There
0: are no dumb questions. I can think of a few. <laughs> yeah, um, there are dumb <laughs> questions, but I just there. I had to I had to repeat that uh there yeah there that are in fact common dumb misconception <laughs> um
1: the uh is, i'm looking at my this this defined king james bible and this is not uh, my primary bible anymore i use it for years I, I used this but now i have a different one um that i preach from but i was using this one to preach from for quite some time and they uh they have the basic idea of the defined king james bible is that they have words that they have deemed archaic Okay. And they bold them. They essentially highlight them in the text. Mm-hmm. And they put a little uh superscription above it, a number mm-hmm. above it, that directs you down to a footnote. Okay. And the footnote gives you a contemporary word in English that explains what the archaic word means. Okay. And I just it just dawned on me while I was looking at this <laughs> a few weeks ago. Like, there's a good, at least where I'm looking right now, I'm looking in First Timothy 3, where we were a minute ago, and we're looking at the word shamefacedness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, there's about, I'd say, five inches difference between where the word shamefacedness lands on the page and its footnote, where it says bashfulness or shyness. It's about mm-hmm. six inches below down in the footnote. Mm-hmm. And I thought, these folks went through a lot of work to find these words in here. And give a contemporary definition of it in the footnote. They went through a lot of effort. And really the only difference between this and a version that is written in contemporary English is about five inches. <laughs> so my thought was, is am I, am I off base here for wondering why they couldn't just take the footnote word and just stick it up in the verse where it belongs in, instead of what may be considered an archaic word. Another example that, you know, I was looking at a moment ago was in Romans 13, the word chambering, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the word wantonness,
0: mm-hmm. right? And Can keep just... a sense, lasciviousness? Yeah. In, in this case,
1: <laughs> in this case, the difference is, is probably no more than an inch and a quarter from chambering in the text down to the footnote where it says sexual indulgence or lewdness. Um, Maybe this would anger people for me to even ask this question. But why not just take that word and move it up an inch and a quarter and stick it right there in a verse? I mean, is that... Am I asking for something that is considered unrealistic or, or off base here?
0: Well, um, I'll tell you and if what. So why the practical effect would be that you would you would lose you you would be um, disenfranchised immediately by some strong KJV advocates. Um this is true yes um so but
1: but yet yet but yet this entire translation this entire this entire edition here by d. a weight is is done by people who are very strong King james version advocates mm-hmm. they they are mm-hmm. in fact that mm-hmm. so they are acknowledging by even making this in the first place, there are archaic words here. Mm -hmm. that we would like to give a contemporary definition of and they even stick it in there Mm -hmm. but what are they acknowledging when they put it in a footnote instead of just in the verse why do that i don't i don't some is there some spiritual attachment to the word chambering or wantonness that we're unwilling to put the footnoted word right up there in the verse
0: yeah um I guess that'd be for them to answer. I mean, as far as I, I don't see all the uh, the definitions there in front of you. So like sometimes is it too long to put into the verse? Like when they give two, when you no. said you looked up one and it said, and it gave two answers. Well, they're not going to stick them both in the verse. So you're just saying they'd have to choose one. And yet they kind of might give slightly different takes on the word.
1: I suppose that's possible, but I mean, that would be the same case for any translating you you do, whether it's Bible or otherwise, there's going to be like 90 words, 90 words that could be used for one word in a different (laughs) language. So it's like, you know, I don't know. I'm just wondering, I mean, is this going to freak anybody out? Just me asking this, this seems to me like an honest question, like a fair question. Why not just, if you're going to do all that work of putting these words down the footnote, why not just stick it up in the verse? Or is there some spiritual attachment to words like shamefacedness?
0: Now, I can't say that there's a spiritual attachment to it. Um, you just have to trust your translator to put a uh, a fitting replacement in. You know what I mean? But I see yeah. what you're saying. I mean, basically, that's what they did. They just didn't. They kept it separate so as to yeah. maintain the original and by that the 1769 well it, they, i mean
1: they essentially have created a contemporary translation of the bible <laughs> right, yeah, right. without admitting that they created a contemporary translation of the bible mm-hmm. and they do that just by putting it in a footnote rather than in the verse and it seems to me like well if you're going to do that just do it right
0: i see what you're saying <laughs> now i'm going to throw in uh, not that i'm not that i'm holding on to the uh archaic language just for the sake of archaic language but when you start to say okay you know this you know this guy and i don't know who all is involved in that uh, i'm not really fam- very familiar with that um that study bible but um you know okay this guy has the right to pick words and substitute the archaic words for him well the mm-hmm. next guy comes around he goes i i don't like that replacement i'd actually use this word well he comes out with his his translation somebody else says ah, you know i would use I, I actually i think there's a couple other words that are archaic i'll stick in a couple and he comes out with his translation well then you're not you're not really homogenous on one translation and even with something as, as as simple as getting your kids to memorize scripture oh i memorized the you know the weight translation oh well you've got the uh-huh. you know the whatever translation you know so that that's yeah. a little different and so it actually puts well, no, I... a little wrench into it um you I know, think there's
1: value in having a in standard memorizing research. from in memorizing from one version of the Bible. And and I yeah. like the King James. I've used it my whole life. Um I don't plan on not using it. <laughs> right. I'm not gonna throw it out. Yeah, no. Um guess- but but what I mean is like for instance, like you said, you know, you got different people coming up with a different word. Well, I don't like his choice of word, I'm gonna use this word. Well, when the translators of any kind look up any kind of word in the original, they are, they're all doing that. They're all picking a word. I mean, that's how the King James translators did it. They pick a word in the English that suits right. the original. I so. well, and what be and there's any number of choices for them to pick from. And they picked one.
0: Um, and
1: does that make sense?
0: Yeah. But maybe, and maybe this isn't the question you're asking, but I guess my thought is that if we're talking about, I'm not against the, the concept of a modern English translation that we don't, the point is that we believe that the king james has been the you know most accurate translation from the best manuscripts but um so that doesn't rule out that you know you, you could modernize the, the language however in order to keep sort of christianity on a unified translation so as to minimize confusion and and you know enable you know, whatever memorization and preaching, whatever. Um, then it seems to me that if you were going to do that, you'd want to make it a you'd want to make it a big deal in the sense that we're getting together a committee of, of of scholarship as well, and and so that across maybe across camps, you know what I mean, whatever. We're 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 working together with men who are uh, able to to pick the words, and we've agreed, okay. So in th- in essence, that you're trying to create the the next standard version and I mean from the correct text because obviously that's been attempted many times with the other text but the next standard version for the American public does that make sense what I'm saying and instead of just one guy going uh this I you know I I would replace the archaic words with this and and you know a few thousand people buy it and somebody else comes along and says I don't do that well why don't you so why don't they try to make it a bigger work that says look uh, this is it. However, I do think you have a lot that are really attached to the King James and not for necessarily bad reasons either. They just, yeah. they, they love the, the flow of it, the richness right. of it. Okay. Um, and they're, they honestly don't feel that the archaic, which I can, I can, I can understand that the archaic words are really a detriment, um, to someone who actually just wants to put in a little bit of elbow grease and study it, you know, and figure out what it means. But, um, so I, just because people are so attached to it, then are you really going to ever have a market for something that tries to replace the King James? And then if it's not going to have a market, why make it? And, you know, but if they could keep it as the King James with some explanations, okay, that's sell. You know what I mean? And I don't mean that from yeah. a total marketing thing, but uh, okay, now we're helping people understand it. It's still the King James. Uh, so you have the market for it. And there you go. Hmm.
1: So you're saying it may be some sort of appeasement, or or trying to have the best of both worlds, as it were. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. and I, I think that I probably see. is honestly kind of the best of both worlds at yeah. this point.
1: Okay. Um, hmm. All right. Well, thank you for indulging <laughs> me on that one. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, it got it got me thinking. I'm like it's only an inch and a quarter.
0: Okay. Right. Well, speaking yeah. of reading, if we were speaking of that maybe not slightly awkward segue into a
1: sort of few, tangentially. True, really?
0: <laughs> sorry. Okay. A few questions for you. I'm talking about reading now. Um, how important is it in, you know, like to be able to read your tomato soup label? No, I, I just mean how important should it be first in the life of anybody reading? I mean, this ha- a habit of, um, of finding books, reading them, reading other people—how important is that? Very okay. <laughs> how, how important is it to a leader? I mean, when he, when a leader thinks of his how he how he divides his time, well, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. What? Give me a relative weight that reading should play in uh, in his priorities. I mean, is that something that he should structure time, even a fair amount of time, doing?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean. I don't know. I'm looking for maybe a difficult part of the question, but I mean, yes. Okay. Um, Okay. Yeah. I I, I think that should be high on the priority, especially if the guy is not maybe inclined to be
0: a reader. Right. I think a number of people aren't.
1: Yeah. And some folks just are, they just read things and they don't really need a reminder. They don't need to prioritize it. They just do. They have an inherent curiosity about all sorts of things. So they read and and they study and they learn and they develop themselves so it's
0: okay yeah. let me let me hone it down here a little bit so that the question's more focused as far as a pastor someone in ministry obviously you would say it's still very important um why is it important why is it important to read what someone else has to say about something are are we talking about like theological material or sure well i'd say theological or ministry i mean um anything that's that a you know that men in ministry would read that would be seemingly valuable i mean they're not um, just going to read systematic theologies all day they read you know books on you know parenting and technology and yeah. you know blah 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 um why yeah. is that important
1: i'll answer this with a quote okay that was sent to me actually earlier today, and I ah. thought this was really good. And serendipitously, it, it fits with what you're asking. Okay. And the quote is this, if you think you know everything there is to know on a topic, it is true for you because you are not capable of learning anything else. Ooh. It's a stinging challenge repost, is what it is, but yeah. nevertheless true that someone who feels that they know everything there is to know on a topic... Really, it is true for them. They do know everything there is to know because they know everything they can know. They're not a person who is capable of learning anything else. They Mm -hmm. feel like they have reached the top. And and I think that's why it's important for pastors to read because this may be an earth-shattering truth for some (laughs) pastors out there or some armchair theologians out there. The only immutable being is God. (laughs) And I've heard pastors say, oh, I haven't changed in 40 years. Well, then you're not reading and you're not growing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are and, and I'm not talking about just the sanctification uh, against the flesh. Uh, yes, we should all be changing in that area. And I think pastors who say such things uh, would admit to it changing, at least in in areas of gaining victory over their flesh and, and changing that way you're sure they would confess to that but I mean even honing and developing your viewpoints on things right uh you, you if you believe the same exact things you believed when you were 11 in the exact <laughs> same way I seriously kind of doubt you and, and I wonder if I can take you seriously because it, am I really to believe that 11 year old an 11 year old has been given every single possible right view of everything and they understood it and they studied it and they they developed it and honed it and now they can now articulate it to someone else. No, in all likelihood, no. And you're gonna find if you're a, a reading Christian, a growing Christian, you're gonna start to develop as you, as you mature and as you age as an adult. And you might say, well, you know, I I believed that. And, and I wonder if if maybe I didn't quite understand that issue like I should have. Um, and I think we're afraid to admit that sometimes Hmm. because, you know, we like it for everyone to believe that we're never wrong about anything, but the fact is we are. And I, I would have more respect for a guy who says, you know, I studied this issue out for, you know, seven years and realized that maybe I was wrong about that. Um, I'd have more respect for that than a guy who says, yeah, I, I knew everything I believed from the time I was a teenager and have never changed. Mm-hmm. So something to me is, is fishy about okay. a guy who says that.
0: Okay. Um, I have a couple more questions about this, but we're going to carry them into the after show. Yeah. We're going to uh, close it down for today. And thank you for listening. If you got any questions, uh, comments, responses, uh, just thoughts that come to your mind and you're wondering how you, how you connect them in life, how you balance them, how it, jives or uh, uh, is consistent with something else we'd be glad to possibly uh, bat that around but just send it to reason together podcast at gmail.com
1: all right well thank you for being with us on this episode we are encouraging balance developing perspective and connecting faith to practice and encouraging you to read (laughs) (laughs) this is reason together